Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Ryan Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome, everybody, to a special solo edition of the Church of Roy podcast. I am your host, Steve Dewald. Brian Wilcox could not be with us today. He is getting ready to travel and make his winter arrangements to get where he needs to go for Christmas. Um, safe travels, buddy. I'm sure you. You might be listening to this if, you, if you're not sick of my voice already, but nevertheless, we have a little bit to talk about this week. Um, obviously, there's a huge shadow over major sports right now, especially the NBA, with uh, and really over the entire country, entire world, as we uh, head home for the holidays and get ready to gather around our loved ones. Uh, COVID is back, um, certainly is on the uptick, and we're seeing that really in you know the nhl the nba the nfl um as i go to record this you know there's two tuesday night games um just got done with one of the weirdest weeks of fantasy football like i I mean this is just very trivial stuff i mean this is obviously going to impact everybody's life um but let's start with the nba and, and what they're doing and what really they're not doing so far so you know earlier this week the nhl set the tone with postponing action and really pushing everything out past Christmas and allowing, you know, these teams to kind of catch their breaths. And, you know, we're seeing the same amount of coaches and players all in these COVID protocols. And obviously with the NHL, you you factor in, you know, yes, we have one team that's from Canada and the NBA, but in the NHL, it's much more prominent. You're, You're crossing, you know, country lines and and really it complicates everything and you know this over this last weekend we saw the seattle kraken here in the northwest postpone their game on sunday as the toronto maple leafs are really trying to you know put a roster together basically is i believe they had seven or eight guys in covid protocol including coaches and and certain members of their staff so the nba is really kind of 
trending in the same direction. So I went to record this. I've, the numbers are, are changing rapidly. Um, no Blazer player that I know of as of right now when I went to record this, and hopefully it keeps up that way. But we're well over 100 players have entered, entered COVID protocol or are currently in COVID protocol in the NBA. Um, obviously, there's some teams that have been hit harder than others. I mean, the Nets are still trying to sort this out. Um the Hawks have kind of entered into this zone. Um, the Bulls are still one of those teams that have struggled with this for a while. So it's here, and, and these teams are trying to adapt. And it's not only just the players, it's the coaches. And obviously, when you're talking about that, you're talking about people who are older. Uh, the vaccination rate um, among staff, I think, is, if not 100%, pretty close to it. So... You know, it's it's definitely an awkward time, and that's kind of I think why I went with the solo route for this episode. Is it felt weird to bring a guest on and you know talk a lot about basketball when when you know, all the stuff's going on, and you know we'll we'll find another time to get guests on and have them be excited and upbeat and talk about basketball. Now, as far as what the NBA is trying to do to combat this, is they have not, outside of a few postponements, have not really just put a pause on the league like the NHL has. Um, instead, they're starting to allow teams to basically sign players to 10-day contracts, exceed that 15-player limit, that threshold, um, as players pop positive on their team. And, you know, to my understanding, I think there's a way out of these contracts and there's a little leniency when players are clear to come back. The the 15-player limit is still very much in place i would hope you know outside of a pause that's one thing that the nba kind of looks at here and says you know in order to finish out this season let's add you know a couple roster spots outside of just the two-way guys being able to stay up and around the team i think carrying a, a roster of two additional players takes a lot less pressure off the league. It takes pressure off the players, especially if they're going to make them, you know, play through this and continue doing this. Obviously it's not the ideal solution. So already in the last couple of days, we've seen a ton of guys get contracts, people that, you know, I've kind of forgotten about, you know, developmental players that are all of a sudden getting a shot. Uh, a few names should be familiar to the Blazers, obviously, um, as far as former Blazer goes, uh, Tim Frazier signed a deal with the Magic, which is kind of neat seeing him back in the league, getting another shot. The other thing that's kind of crazy about Tim Frazier when I look at his numbers is only 40 game regular season games with the Blazers, which is kind of crazy when you think of like, I just thought his career was so much longer. And I think that just has a lot tied to his friendship with Damian Lillard, but He's getting a shot uh, as the Magic kind of try to navigate uh, their own situation and, and, you know, keep trying to press through this. Um, hopefully Tim stays healthy. Hopefully, you know, he shows off a little bit. Maybe he he's able to convert some of this into a, a longer-term deal. Maybe he sticks around, bounces around to another team. The other player making his triumphant return to Canada and, to play professional basketball is Nick Stauskas. Uh, South Castillo is back in the league. He is headed to Toronto. Um, Toronto, another team that has had four or five guys 
uh, enter COVID protocol in the last few days, including former Blazer Gary Trent Jr. So I have, you know, I know everybody who was a part of this podcast, you know, get well soon, Gary. Hopefully it's, it's not a bad case. There's no complications and you're back on the floor soon. It's not every day you can double your money, but with MyBookie, you double your money instantly thanks to their double deposit bonus for all new users. With MyBookie's double deposit bonus, when you sign up at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code SPORTSDRINK, you'll instantly receive double your initial deposit so you can kickstart your betting experience with all the best games, leagues, and casino options to choose from. The Patriots are taking on the Bills this Monday night as they continue their quest to reclaim the AFC East title. Buffalo has looked like a legit Super Bowl contender, however, look for them to cover the spread. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code SPORTSDRENGTH at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRENGTH to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. That said, Nick Stauskas back in the league, kind of one of the his opening game that heroic performance against the LeBron Lakers. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know, I think we'll kind of go down in history. Another player, only 44 games with the Blazers before he was traded at the deadline. Uh, part of the Rodney Hood trade. And then just some, some like right after that, I think he's traded like four or five times and then eventually out of the league. So it's, it's cool to see him back. He's someone who's been working really hard to kind of get back in the league, going through the G league route, um, really working hard to get back in a lot of talent on offense still. I mean, still there's a lot of stuff about this Nick Stauskas. I mean, maybe he can stick as a fringe player. I, I think, I guess the silver lining through kind of all this mess is, you know, hopefully some of these guys end up getting a longer term deal here or, or at least get an opportunity maybe overseas or, or get a chance to make some more money and continue their professional basketball career. Um, I guess the big name though, outside of the Blazers stuff is Lance Stevenson is uh, joining the Hawks and talk about a player who, you know, he, there was like a, a real Lance Stevenson buzz, you know, feels like almost, I mean, basically a decade ago, a little less than that, but just his antics with LeBron James, you know, I think hit the, the clip of him blowing in LeBron's ear will, will go down as one of the more memorable moments in that decade, weirdly enough. And, you know, the Pacers really pushed to resign him. He ended up leaving, um, and then ended up coming back and then bouncing around the league kind of the buzz around people who evaluate talent at that level and and look at those players trying to come up through the ranks. A lot of them have said, you know, Lance Stevenson is taking this very seriously. He's in really good shape. Um, we'll see what he can do at the next level. So we'll see if he can – or I guess he's been at this level, so it's not really the next level to him. But we'll see what he can do this time up. Maybe, again, another guy who's been around – looking for a veteran presence, someone who, you know, if his head screwed on right, might have some valuable information for some of those young wings on that Hawks team. So um, I guess finally, too, one of the late late signings was the Mavericks signed Marquise Chris. And the reason I bring up Marquise Chris is, yes, he's never suited up for the Blazers in a regular season game, but he was one of the late cuts 
to this Blazers roster and training camp. And when you're thinking about players that, you know, I hope nothing happens to this Blazers team. I hope everybody can stay healthy. Everybody stays out of protocols. They don't have to go and sign somebody. But Marquise Chris was somebody I kind of had earmarked as a player that the Blazers could look to just because obviously there there is going to be some familiarity there. Um, he's been through Chauncey Billups' first camp. Uh, it's obviously someone they liked for their system. So he's headed to the Mavs. I don't know. I, I mean, it's just the standard 10-day, you know, COVID hardship contract. But we'll see. Yeah, he's at one of the names I was watching. So hopefully, you know, hopefully the Blazers don't have to use it. But if they do, maybe he's out of contract. Maybe he has a good showing with Dallas. And maybe he comes in and, and gets a shot for the Blazers if if they need that type of player. So that's kind of, you know, just a brief overview of, I mean, you're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of signings and just like the never ending ticker of, you know, people entering COVID protocol. So definitely not the warm and fuzzy feeling going into the holidays. And really I, for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, Thanksgiving is for football. I I'm rarely remember just really a few. Me- I remember a few memorable games from Thanksgiving, but like not really like my jam. Um, I'm really into the Christmas Day slate of games for the NBA. And, and that's usually like, you know, my holiday, you know, thinking about, you know, this is the NBA's part in my life. And now it's like it's such like the third, fourth billing of importance here is we're trying to figure out, you know, should this league even be playing or or what do they have to do to get these numbers down? Is it mandating boosters? Is it going back to, you know, a little stricter protocols when these players are on the road? But I, I don't know what's going to make a difference at this point. I do get the general feeling and I know it's very minimal. I'm not trying to create a straw man here, but, I, the NBA has no interest, and I don't think the players have any interest in, in going into a bubble or postponing the season to the extent where it's going to directly impact another offseason. We saw the league, you know, one, have to pause, go into this very strict bubble, and it wasn't, wasn't even all the teams. And, and then the result is the schedule is so out of whack for – I mean, it's barely just getting into sequence now. I I don't think the league has any appetite to swap that around. And I think it's important to note, you know, the NHL has a little more freedom to tweak their schedule, mainly because it was just announced this week that NHL players are not going to participate in the Olympics. And so that kind of just gives them this this built-in buffer without those players going over there. They, They do have the benefit... Uh, of being able to retool their schedule on the fly. And I guess for me, you know, the, obviously the Olympics are in the summer for basketball, but you know, and well, we're still in this kind of this pandemic environment and navigating all of it. It makes me wonder if the NBA should build in maybe two to four weeks every season as kind of a buffer time to where if they do need to pause games for, you know, a week or two, especially around the holidays, like if this is going to be a team that wants to start up in November, run through Thanksgiving and run through Christmas, these are times that we've seen now in the early couple of years of the, of the coronavirus pandemic is 
numbers go way up. And if they build those in, maybe they can give themselves some leeway without drastically altering their schedule and also keeping these players, you know, healthy, happy, out of harm's way, especially when they're going to be around their families for the holidays too. I mean, that, at the end of the day, they're all humans involved in this and they're all, you know, trying to spend time with their family and trying to be safe. And for, you know, especially the young guys in this league, I mean, their bodies, it's what makes them money. I mean, that this game is very much mental, but these are peak athletes and, you know, it really makes you wonder if there's something that could be done differently right now. All right. Enough of the COVID talk, enough of, the procedure talk. The one thing I did want to touch on, and this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated show because contrary to popular belief, I am not completely full of hot air all the time. So I am going to run out of some steam, but I want to look back at, at three of the stories that really stuck out for me, storylines that stuck out for me in this past year, in 2021. And we're going to have another show before the end of the year, but I wanted to just give you guys an insight of what impacted me this year uh the three things that really stuck out and then the things that i think when we look back at this year will stick out in the chapters of blazers history and obviously through some of the changes that we've seen which this list is going to be filled with a lot of those changes um are going to be major bullet point sections of our fandom of this team, of how we watch this team, how we think about this team, how we tell the story of this team. So let's jump right into them. So I just got three, and I want to start with, you know, the the first of the major pillars of the Blazers, you know, kind of this era. Uh, one of those pillars is Terry Stotts. Um, his his run with the Blazers, his nine-year run as head coach, came to an end after a playoff exit against the Nuggets. Before he left, he racked up 402 regular season wins. That's number two all-time for the Trailblazers, behind only Dr. Jack. Um, obviously, Dr. Jack had quite a few more, and he also had an NBA title. But when you're thinking about some of the – I mean, Portland has had some really good coaches come through their ranks. And to think that Terry Stotts is, you know, safely clear cut number two on that list, it's pretty wild to think about because I think rightfully so in a lot of ways, Damian Lillard's run with this team is very much tied to this era. But when you, you know, take a step back and you think about Terry Stotts and the style of basketball that he implemented here in Portland, and it wasn't perfect. But for a lot of those years, it was really beautiful basketball. The on-court prog- product for the offense, you know, was near the top of the league. I mean, Portland consistently was one of the most watchable teams, one of the most exciting teams to talk about. And, you know, I, I mean, we see this reflected in our personal lives, but also, you know, professionally when you're going to events, when you're going to where national press is and you're talking about the Blazers, people want to talk about the Blazers. People want to talk about Damon Lillard. They want to talk about the offense. I mean, yeah, they're going to want to talk about the defense or lack there of it, but for the most part, those conversations were very enjoyable for a long time. And a lot of that has to do with Terry Stotts's vision for the offense. A lot of that has to do with 
Damian Lillard and his ability to basically stretch a defense at his will. And also, I mean, in those early years, you had LaMarcus Aldridge, who was, you know, a top 10 player in the league, top five, maybe. I mean, if you look at the year where they upset the Rockets in the first round, I mean, there's an argument to many, you know, he's a top six player in the league that year. Um, and how Terry Stotts kind of got all these veteran guys to come in on the fly and really buy in and play their role on offense and hand the keys that season to a second year player out of Weber state and watch him blossom into this, you know, really top tier, amazing NBA player. I mean, granted he was coming off a rookie of the year campaign, but the stakes were much higher going into that second year. Um, the first Stotts year, the first Lillard year was very much a, a learning process for everybody involved. But when it gets back to Terry Stotts, you know, regular season, we hit on that. When you talk about the playoffs, nine straight seasons or eight straight seasons in the playoffs. So he just missed the playoffs that first season. Um, that helped in the room when you're talking about postseasons with Terry Stotts is that five of them were first round exits. And some of those first round exits were brutal. Like most of the time they were brutal. I mean, they had the unfortunate luck of running into a dynasty warriors team. They got absolutely cooked against New Orleans, which I think is one of the most I, – I, I think when you're looking back at Terry Styles, I think that is the most disheartening series um, sequence of games during his tenure for me as a fan. And I think judging by some of the comments, the brief comments Terry Stotts has made since he's left his post with the Blazers, is I think he'd agree with that. I think that was, that was a very brutal series. Um, and then obviously last year, playing against a Nuggets team that was very much undermanned, um, losing a game where Damian Lillard just goes absolutely nuclear is, is kind of unacceptable. And, you know, when we talk about the next thing, which is Neil O'Shea's firing, spoiler, is, you know, Stotts and O'Shea's legacies will always be tied together. And I think... It'll be Lillard that stands above them as far as when you're talking about those three pillars I keep talking about on this podcast. But as far as like putting blame on someone, I'm trying to shy away from it, especially now that both guys are, are out of their respective positions with the Blazers. But this last year, we saw so much of the conversation around this team really dive into this, you know, the Stotts camp versus... The fire shots camp, you know, the blame O'Shea camp, um, product, this is the roster's fault, this is the coach's fault. It's not every day you can double your money, but with MyBookie, you double your money instantly thanks to their double deposit bonus for all new users. With MyBookie's double deposit bonus, when you sign up at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code SPORTSDRINK, you'll instantly receive double your initial deposit so you can kickstart your betting experience with all the best games, leagues, and casino options to choose from. The Patriots are taking on the Bills this Monday night as they continue their quest to reclaim the AFC East title. Buffalo has looked like a legit Super Bowl contender, however, look for them to cover the spread. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code SPORTSDRENGTH at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRENGTH to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. 
Church of Roy has a new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you're in cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com. That's www.simbul.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code SD to make your first deposit risk-free. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it on beeps. For me, it was just, it was time for Terry Stotts to go. And I think Terry Stotts, I think, I think that everybody kind of knew it at the end. I think it had kind of run its course. And it's a, it's a theme that I've talked about briefly on here, but like when you're not winning titles and you're not really playing to a level of competition where you're a clear cut title contender, things get stale. Things get weird especially when you're not really making a changeover. Now, some of that's on the GM to make sure you're making changes and make your roster better. But part of that is just kind of trying to shake things up. And, and I think it was just time for Damian Lillard to hear, you know, a different voice, this team to kind of see what a new direction was. Now, do I agree with where the coaching search went? Not exactly. There were other candidates I would have, I would have liked a little more. I mean, I was very adamant on this podcast for a few episodes when the coaching search was still going on that, you know, I really liked the idea of Mike D'Antoni here. Granted the defense would have been terrible, but Hey, guess what? The defense is still terrible on this team. So the offense could be better. Maybe Damian Lillard. I don't know with his injury, what would be going on this year with the rule changes, but I think I I'm very much going to die on the D'Antoni Hill by the end of it. But as far as Terry Stotts goes, you know, it's kind of crazy that of a year where all this news kind of come out and you kind of pause and you look back at 2021. It's such a footnote that the Blazers fired their second winningest head coach, a guy who had made eight straight playoffs. It's kind of wild to think about. And so as this year's kind of wrapping up, it's one of those stories that, Definitely made my top three. I mean, there were some runners up, some honorable mentions that I might get to at the end here, but it was one that I definitely had to put in the top one I had to discuss. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of added to the mystery now that Terry Stotts really hasn't been in the public eye, hasn't been in front of a camera. I mean, there's been a podcast, there's this great picture out of him at a Timbers game. Uh, drinking a beer, which is, you know, perfect. And I hope whatever Terry Stotts is doing, I hope he's happy doing it. I hope he's found some peace. I mean, a decade, basically a decade as a head coach in a market that really cares about its basketball team. Um, I'm sure it was nice to decompress for him. I hope he's getting some fishing in. I hope he's drinking plenty of beers at the games he goes to or on his off time. Um, and even before his time with the Blazers, I mean, this is a guy who came up through the ranks and you know spent a lot of time on a lot of different staffs and 
you know, Olshay definitely put his stamp on this team, but uh, Terry Stott's got a long run of really putting his fingerprints on on a team during an era where that franchise had its best player ever. So number one for me, or number three on this list, first one I talked about, would uh, be the dismissal of Terry Stott's. Uh, number two, in the same vein, is Neil Shea is investigated for workplace misconduct. He's fired. I'm not going to go as in-depth to this one because we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks on our show. Um, but another guy who, you know, like I said, really put his fingerprints all over this team for 10 years, basically 10 years. And, you know, was he always the most fun person to watch a press conference? Absolutely not. Do I have my own personal reservations and my own personal dislike of Neil O'Shea? Absolutely. I'm not going to hide that bias, but looking at the positives, you know, he was smart enough to, to listen to Chad Buchanan and make sure that Damian Lillard was drafted. Um, even if you do think Chad Buchanan had the majority of the sway in that, I mean, it's one thing to make sure you listen. And so I, I credit O'Shea there. Um, I do beat him up on that pick a little bit, though. And then the next year, obviously taking C.J. McCollum in a really weird draft where a lot of teams really missed on a lot of picks um, to take a, another guy out of a small college, out of Lehigh, to nab C.J. McCollum after he dealt with some injuries and have him come into the league to a team that had some veteran guards in front of him. I mean, CJ didn't really play a lot. He had Wesley Matthews in front of him. Also on the wing, you had Nick Batum. So it took a little while for CJ to, to find his sea legs. But when he did, you know, he's did this team reach as high as we all would have liked it as CJ being a major player? No, I, at least not in my opinion, but he is a franchise cornerstone. At the end of the day, he is very much going to be part of the Damian Lillard run, the legacy. He is going to be, I would say, probably consistently on those lists of best Blazers ever. And he might be one of those guys where we get a little more removed. We get, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, and you're looking at his stats, you're looking at where his numbers rack, the level of consistency where he was at. I think someone, he's someone who history is going to be kind to. And they're going to move him up that list a little bit. But so Neil Shea, credit him for that. Credit him for going out and getting CJ McCollum. Um, really kind of getting, squeezing as much as he could out of the assets the Blazers had early in his tenure to, to get guys like Robin Lopez and, you know, taking a big swing on Thomas Robinson. Um, you know, those were good moves. And then, you know, obviously things get a little derailed with the Aaron Flalo trade, which turns out to be a disaster, which is really tied to the Wesley Matthews injury. And, I mean, what they brought Aaron Flalo in to do was not what he ended up doing for that team. And he eventually gets hurt as well. Um, the elephant in the room during that era is obviously LaMarcus Aldridge leaves in free agency. They get absolutely zero return for that asset. And we see that pop up, not in the immediate aftermath of LaMarcus Aldridge departing, but the next offseason. Because you have that gap where you have, you only have, I mean, you really don't have any max player under contract at that point. I mean, you're you're still waiting to give 
Lillard his extension, so or his extension hasn't kicked in. So you have this all this money you're sitting on. But we don't see that initially. I'll keep talking about the positives, and then we'll get into the ugly stuff. Um, does a good job of targeting guys like Maurice Harkless. Um, kind of allows Alan Crabb to blossom into a decent role player. And I mean, this is all before the money um, and really kind of fosters a lot of talent without having to really expend a lot of capital, whether that's draft capital, whether that's, you know, a second round pick in Alan Crabb's case um, does a good job of going out and find some talent, make some solid veteran signings uh, on the fringes, Ed Davis, uh, one of my favorite players in the last 10 years, quality signing, another person who builds a strong bond with the locker room. Um, but then things kind of start going off the rails a little bit. So you have the summer of 2016 where, like I alluded to earlier, you have this big bubble of available cash, that money spent largely on Evan Turner extensions for Myers Leonard, Maurice Harkless, um, we get CJ extensions. We get Damian Willard extensions, which some of the, I mean, Dame and CJ, especially Dame. I mean, that's what you got to do there. CJ, we get into that debatable area where how much can you do with two players around that, that similar style with that much money of your cap tied up in both of them. But at the time, I, I still don't think we knew the ceiling of what CJ was going to be. So I was certainly much more okay with what that extension was initially. Um, but yeah, the money gets kind of swallowed up and then they lose all this flexibility. And now what they do end up doing is they're able to get Yusuf Nurkic, get an extra first round pick. And, you know, great move. Yusuf Nurkic re refines, reinvents himself in Portland and they get this extra pick. And then I think they made a move when they still had some cap flexibility with the Cavs. Uh, to swallow Anderson Verjao's contract. And they, they got a first-round pick for that. I think they made a side deal with Cleveland to move that up a year. So they end up with three first-round picks in the 2017 draft. Now, just how they had spent money going into that offseason and how everything was set up, they absolutely had to hit on that pick. And... They consolidated a couple of those picks. They move up. They take Zach Collins. Take Zach Collins in front of Donovan Mitchell. They take Zach Collins in front of Bam Adebayo. Now, granted, Zach Collins, you know, there he wasn't a clear-cut option at number 10, but he was certainly in the discussion of one of the one of the best big men in that draft class. Um, and then they use their other first round pick on Caleb Swan again. So this is 2017 draft. As we're recording this tonight, as you all know, both those players are not on this team. Both of those players are not helping Damian Lillard through his prime years. And that's what they needed. They didn't need an all-star player there. They needed a functional role player better than an above average role player to come in and really help carry some of this burden as Damian Lillard gets into you know, his prime years where maybe they need to reserve some of his output during the regular season. They just didn't get that. I, I think Zach Collins in a perfect world could have maybe gotten there. He could have maybe 
you know, really been a contributor. And especially now, like in a different world, because I always felt Zach Collins was a, a center and they always really tried to play him as a power forward. Now, as we kind of, what certainly feels like we're getting near the end of the Yusuf Nurkic era with the Blazers, you could see them in a perfect world where Zach Collins is still on the roster and he's developed and he's played, you know, seasons without being injured that he's on the court. Now he's really getting that run as the center. And, you know, we're just kind of robbed of that. And now Zach Collins is with the pay or with the Spurs and, uh, you know, Caleb Swanigan is, is out of the league completely. Um, so yeah, so you have the you have a couple of real rough years in a row. And then after that, I, I think when things are going well, it's all right to have a person like Neil O'Shea in power. I mean, obviously, if there was workplace misconduct behind the scenes, like that's never tolerable, but at least outward facing. And with the media here, with the fans here, when the team was winning and before we kind of knew how bad those contracts really were going to be, and obviously when we got the idea that the 2017 draft really wasn't going to go in the direction we'd hoped it, his relationship with the media fans, suddenly that overconfidence and everything, it really kind of just turned combative and everything just really started to sour. And then we see it really in this last year, year and a half, it's completely soured with most of the media. He appears sporadically um and there's really a pretty clear fight as far as how this season is going to be framed whether it's the roster or the coach which i touched on earlier um he's definitely pushing that it was a coaching issue and then we get into this last off season where i think just in a you know in an ideal situation he wouldn't have been making the decisions there they the blazers would have moved on they would have just you know swallowed it, gotten rid of his contract and, you know, parted ways and started fresh with not only a new coach, but with a new president of basketball operations, but they did not. So we get this really messy coaching search. I think looking back, we kind of gloss over some of the Becky Hammond stuff, as far as some of the comments that were leaked to the media afterwards about, you know, the Blazers were quoted like, or leaked to a source saying, you know, they didn't, weren't exactly sure what Becky Hammond did and like just kind of made some disparaging comments that were just kind of off base. Um, obviously, everybody learned a lot about Chauncey Billups and his past in a hurry. I mean, some people knew going in, but I'll, I'll be honest, I was someone who was very ignorant on that situation uh, prior to. Now, I, I'm not casting whether or not I know he's guilty or innocent, but I do know the Blazers could have handled that situation much better. And that a lot of that is tied to Neil O'Shea. It was very clear that Chauncey Billups was his guy and he really wanted to push that through. So yeah, it it was ugly. And then it kind of culminates in this Friday night news drop where they've hired Chauncey Billups and then they, you know, put Damian Lillard out there on an Island for a couple days. And then there's a press conference later that week that next week. And it's an outright disaster. So it's just two terrible press conferences in a row for Neil O'Shea. And then we hear from him a little bit at media day. And then, you know, the next time he's really in the headlines is that he's under investigation. The investigation goes about a month and then he's dismissed. 
are fired. So again, when you're looking back at this last year, not only did they lose their second winningest coach of all time, but you're also fired a GM or president of basketball operations that kind of built a team that made eight straight postseasons was consistent. And for a lot of those years, uh, played a very beautiful brand of basketball, a team along with Terry Stotts' guidance as a coach, a team that made a Western Conference Finals, a team that very much looked like a contender, a true title contender before Wesley Matthews got hurt. Um, so, yeah, Neil Shea's legacy is is an interesting one for sure. Uh, certainly not one I remember well right now or look back at fondly, but it is worth noting the level of consistency and success he had here. Now, did they ever take that next step? Not really, not exactly. So finally, the last one is, I, I, I don't really know how to categorize it or a clean and tidy title for this, but it's, it's Damian Lillard and, and just kind of the rumors and the tone and some of the stuff that's gone on in the last, you know, four or five months. You know, Damian Lillard, and he's still saying very much the right things, and I think he means a lot of what he says. Um, I think he means everything he says. I really do. I think he's one of those rare sports figures that, that yes, his brand is very popular, but his brand is very popular because it's a, it's a good person behind it. It's a loyal person behind it. But I think it got pushed to the brink this year. I think that Nuggets series was rough. You, you talk about that huge game he had, and they still lose. He's the only one putting up points. This is a team that is very much still flawed. And he's in his prime. And the light at the end of the tunnel isn't necessarily bright as far as the level of flexibility this team has, where it's going, or the GM or president of basketball operations that's willing to make those changes. So we kind of see this through some of the writing from Chris Haynes. And I mean, it, you know, it ebbs and it flows. But the tone changed, and I think everybody can kind of realize that. Now, do I think Damian Lillard is fully committed to Portland right now? Absolutely. But do I think that maybe for the first time he actually really thought about what his career could be outside of Portland, outside of the Blazers organization? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know how Damian Lillard thinks, but just judging by some of the tone and some of the media stuff, especially you know early in the offseason, it certainly gave off the vibe that, you know, there was going to be some expectations on where this team went and he's ready to win. And he definitely wants to capitalize on his prime. Um, I think anytime you, you have a team like this and a player who kind of makes some comments like that and things don't really go well, like I alluded to with the Neil O'Shea hiring a bill, <laughs> Chauncey Billups is uh you know, they kind of left Lillard out to dry after, after that Friday news drop. I mean, it was Lillard basically fielding questions on Twitter. And I, I think that caused a lot of discontent too. So anytime you kind of pick up on that vibe, the national media especially is going to snatch that up because superstars that could potentially be available for trade drives a lot of content, drives a lot of viewership, uh, drives a lot of clicks. So 
that's really the media reality we've lived in. And really as a Blazer fan, as you know, you're looking back at this year, this is the first time we've really, really dealt with that with Damian Lillard. There's always been some kind of, you know, rumors pop up or, you know, somebody says something on a talking head show, but never like we've seen it this year. And I think when you're looking back at 2021, this is the first year we really kind of encounter that, especially at a large scale. And, you know, we really kind of got lucky. You think about someone like Bucks fans, and like with Giannis, what they dealt with for so many years until Giannis signed that big extension. Then obviously they go on a finals run. He gets his championship. So, you know, things change. And ideally that's where we end up with Damian Lillard and the Blazers, but that is to be seen. Um, but yeah, that the, the tone changed. And I just kind of think of it as like I kind of like this end of the end of innocence. Like for for me, as far as my fanhood of Damian Lillard and the Blazers, as far as that situation working. I think for the first time, it's always kind of been in your back of your mind when you're thinking about team building, but and going forward. But this is like the really the first year where I've really thought about what would it look like if Damian Lillard wasn't on this Blazers team? Or what's it going to look like when Damian Lillard leaves or retires? And I think this is kind of the year where, you know, part one of that book or part two of the book on Damian Lillard's time with the Blazers kind of came to a close. And we're either in that second act, hopefully, or or maybe we're in that third act. So I, I think that that shift is my big, you know, storyline narrative from this last season. Um, so, yeah, those are my three. I, I'd be very interested to hear everybody else's. So if you get a chance, you know, reach out on Twitter, you know, put in a comment on a review for, for this podcast. and We'll take a look at it. I'd love to read them. I'd love to share them on this show. Um, that said, I went a little longer than I thought I was going to, but hopefully you're not sick of my voice. Maybe I put you to sleep. Maybe this is my long audition for the calm app. So hopefully it wasn't too terrible. Uh, I appreciate everybody who's tuned in, especially through the holidays, everything through this wild season. It's not always super fun to get into the Blazers mode, but, you know, this is a great fan base. It's a great family. Um, I know I speak for Brian and myself when we are truly humbled by all the support we've received. So thank you, everybody. I hope everybody is safe. Everybody has a safe holiday. Um, Enjoy your family. Hopefully we get to watch some NBA basketball if it's not too risky on Christmas Day. But thank you, everybody. That's all I got this week. And we will talk to you when we when hopefully Brian will be back next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Spotify Greenroom every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.